With your hosts, Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin, Matt Costa, science advisor, Matt Moniz. And, uh, we are starting a little bit late, thanks to the Red Sox, but hey, history was made. How often is it that there is a no-hitter? Matt Costa, have you ever seen a no-hitter? I've never seen a no-hitter. You, have, have you ever seen a baseball game? Um, I saw the movie Major League before. Okay, because it's hard to see a no-hitter if, uh, if you don't watch baseball. But I, I know that you're not a big fan. so. But, right. I've seen Major League and Major League 2. But you're a big fan of baseball movies. Yes. Yes, okay. Field of Dreams. Field of Dreams, that's it. Hey, that's paranormal. That's about what we talk about here. Matt Moniz, what about yourself? Have you ever seen a no-hitter? Yes. Really? Have you? Uh, is it the only baseball game you ever saw? Or? Pretty much, actually. Okay. It's like somebody calls you in the seventh inning and like, I don't know if you like baseball or not, but there's something going on you might want to check out. Well, it was a, a paranormal-like performance from Clay Buckholtz, so we should have had him on the show. We should have call down to the EEI network there and had, had them put him on the phone with us. But we have a great guest tonight, so I'm glad that we didn't have to try to squeeze Clay in because we need every minute we can get to talk with John Kachuba. Uh, he's investigated haunted locations around the country and worked with a, a bunch of different researchers in all different uh, approaches to paranormal investigating. And we're going to talk to him. The name of his book is Ghost Hunters. On the Trail of Mediums, Dowsers, Spirit Seekers, and Other Investigators of America's Paranormal World. Uh, and, and really, he does take all these different approaches and, and investigate with some names that you'll know, some names that you won't know. Uh, if you're uh, part of our MySpace, uh, Spooky South Coast, myspace.com slash Spooky South Coast, then uh, you probably have seen a lot of these investigators posting on our, on our message board or, or us passing on messages from them because these, these people are... You know, recognized and trusted names in the paranormal, and and I think that's why John worked with them. And it, it's just it's a, a fascinating book, and we're going to get into a lot of those stories with him right now. Good evening, John. How you doing? Hi, Tim. Hi, guys. How you doing? It's great to have you here on Spooky South Coast. Same here. Thanks a lot. And the the your nickname is the Ghost Hunter, <laughs> and you drive around in the Ghost Hunter mobile. So. I do have the Ghost Hunter mobile. That's correct. <laughs> if you've seen the the eighty seven, what's it? A, a Skyhawk? It's an eighty seven Buick Skyhawk. That, that's a classic. That's like the it's like the Buick version of the K car. It's it's <laughs> it is actually it is pretty much. I think it's even the same chassis and the whole bit as the K car. Um, and funny you should mention that because that Ghost Hunter mobile is going to be going on eBay. Um, around Halloween, actually Halloween night will be the last night. I'm auctioning it off, and I'm giving the uh, proceeds to UNICEF. Oh, so it's a good cause, and it'll be a lot of fun to see how that thing goes. 
And it gets it out of your driveway, too. It gets it out of my driveway. <laughs> I, uh, how many miles are on it? I have to ask. Uh, you know, it doesn't really have that many. It's an 87, and I think it just now clicked over to about 110,000. Oh, not bad at all. No. So, so somebody can still get a lot of use out of it. Oh, yeah. I mean, the funny thing is, mechanically, it's sound. I mean, that baby still drives. I still drive it around. <laughs> and now you took that all around uh, in the process of writing this book you must have flown to some of these locations right well no actually no well yeah in florida i did uh, some flying down to some of those places but uh no actually this car has has really been to probably you know probably about 65 um <laughs> locations mostly throughout the midwest but uh you know some in other areas of the country as well we did a lot of driving put a lot of mileage on it um and for the, for the people who don't know what we're talking about there's a picture of it in my book ghost hunters um, but it was a car that I had, I had it tarted up here at Ohio University by uh, by some art students, and I said, "Look, I've got this car, and I have some ghost books, and I kind of want to have a billboard on wheels. So, you know, do what you want with it." And and they made quite a quite an art car out of it, as they say. They painted ghosts and tombstones and all that kind of stuff all over it. And we put the picture up on SpookySouthCoast.com, and it's also on your website, JohnKachuba.com. That's correct. It's on my website, and it's in the book. And Oh, good. I'm glad it's on Spooky South Coast. Good. Thanks. <laughs> well, when you put the auction up, we'll make sure that we, we put that up there, too, to help, yeah. help promote it. That'd be great. That'd be great. Because, you know, I, I think I remember, I can remember when I was a kid, I can remember uh, the big thing was, you know, to, to go around, some of, the, some of the kids were going around with the little tin cans that UNICEF was collecting for, and they started this Halloween thing, which they still do. And so I contacted the people at UNICEF, and I, I wasn't sure if they were still doing Halloween collection. They said, yeah, we still do that. And so I said, well, I've got this old car that I'd like to auction on eBay, and I don't know what kind of money we'll get, but I'd like to do that and, you know, give the money to UNICEF. And they said, well, it's fine with us, you know. <laughs> Now, are there any spirits attached to it that you know of uh, after visiting all these locations? Well, you know, I don't know. I mean, that that is always a question, right? I can't say honestly that I've ever felt anything in their car, uh, but it's certainly uh, it's certainly you know been to a lot of places, and uh, and if if cars can experience anything, who knows? Maybe it's experienced some things too as well. I'm just thinking of the uh, the poor car in the Poltergeist series of films that that station wagon that gets hacked up with uh, phantom buzz saws and all kinds of stuff. Oh. Not, nothing like that's happened to the ghost. That's right. I forgot, no, no, no. It, believe me, it doesn't need any phantom buzzsaws. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's got its own uh, share of rust holes and things like that too. So, but. it's just, it's just apportation of some of the uh, chassis of the the frame. That's all. That's right. It's just pieces, of, and they'll they'll come back later on. Yeah, probably. So now, how did you? you you're an author of, of many different books, not just books right. on the paranormal. How did you come to start writing about the paranormal? Well, you know, I've always had an interest in the paranormal. Um, I grew up in New England. I grew up in Connecticut. And, you know, you guys know, obviously, you can't go anywhere in New England without running into an old cemetery someplace or an old church or something that you know, just has some really great history to it. And I've always been a real fan of, of history. And so it was natural sort of to, um, you know, learn about ghost stories and a lot of other kind of, you know, maybe some tall tales and things as I was learning history. And I really got interested in, in them. But I never really did too much with it until um, I met Ed and Lorraine Warren. Uh, this was probably you know, probably about 10, 12 years ago, I guess. And, of course, Ed has since passed away last year. Uh, but, you know, I met them. And, in fact, I lived in the same town they did in Connecticut for a while. Uh, and, 
I, I was doing something up in Dudley Town uh, in Connecticut, which you guys might know about. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't even really a paranormal thing as much as I was more interested sort of in, in the real history of the place. And then when I found out about some of the other paranormal things, I became more interested. And I started taking all these pictures up there. Uh, and when I got the pictures developed, and of course this was the day, you know, pre-digital, this was just 35 millimeter. I had some interesting images on there, and I'm thinking, what the heck is this? Um, so I contacted the Warrens and told them about that, and they invited me to their house, and I showed them my photos, and, and they shared a lot of uh, a lot of their work they had done up in Dudley Town on, on numerous occasions. And so I really got interested in it all over again and started writing about it a little bit. But um, no books or anything until 2004 when I published uh, Ghost Hunting Ohio, and that was felt uh, followed by Ghost Hunting Illinois in 2005, and then this new book, Ghost Hunters, which is national in scope instead of being uh, just, you know, instead of being a regional book, it, it covers, it's coast to coast. Now, the, the first two books, were they the similar approach of working with different investigators in, in different types of research? Uh, they were, but not, not quite as intense. For the most part, in each one of those books, I went to probably about three dozen places, both in Illinois and Ohio. And uh, the point was I always wanted to make sure that I went to the places and personally saw them, personally checked it out. And I talked with a lot of people who had had experiences with these places, all of which are open to the public. You know, they were um, haunted restaurants, hotels, museums, stores, uh, historic sites, you know, you name it. Uh, so mostly I was talking to people who actually had experiences uh, I did. I did work with a few investigators in those books, but not to the extent that I did now with Ghost Hunters. Um, and as you mentioned earlier, the reason why I did this in Ghost Hunters now is because I've gotten much more interested after those first two sort of local books. I've got more interested in the whole idea of the, the kind of paranormal community that's been developing not only in this country, but really around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know it's very it's very intense now. There's a lot of people doing this, a lot of people interested in it. So then I was curious about, you know, do people work in the same way? Do they have different techniques? Uh, what, how how is their methodology different among different people, different researchers? But not only that, what do they believe? You know, what are some of the theories? How do they range? What are, you know? How are they different from each other? And so in addition to working with a lot of different people. I just have a lot of different thoughts in this book from different people. So I have skeptics, total skeptics, as well as people like, um, you know, members of the Spiritualist Church with a capital S, who for them this is part, you know, ghosts are part of their religion. And, so, and everything in between, you know, those two, um, those two extremes. So I think it makes an interesting book because, you know, there's a lot of different angles here, a lot of different viewpoints, and I'm not trying to, um, as I've never done in any of my books, I'm not trying to debunk anything. Uh, nor am I really trying to guard my way to prove anything. I'm just simply going in as an objective reporter, as a journalist in a way, and just saying, here's what I see, here's what's happening. You know, okay, reader, you make up your mind. You know, you decide what, what you think is coming out of here. And, and in a way, the book is, is more about the investigators themselves as people and, like you said, their belief sets and, and their value systems and how they've come to the to the realization that the paranormal is real. And... By showing that, I mean, everybody's seen, for example, Joshua Warren. I mean, right. anybody that pays attention to the paranormal, the guy's all over the place. Right. And to a lot of people, he seems like, you know, this, hey, he's a self-promoter. He's got a haunted cruise. He's got this. He's got that. And people will kind of shy away from that. 
because he's so out there in the mm-hmm. field. But then when you read the chapters with Joshua Warren and you get the idea of who he is as a person and as an investigator, you know, then it, it, it gives you kind of the story behind the people who are the names in the field, but we only know them for their work and not for who they are as people. That's a, that's a good point, and that's exactly right. I mean, I was trying to show them as people. You, you know, when I write about all my books, I mean, people have said to me they always read like novels, and I think, I think it's probably because I I do get interested in the people, and so they become almost like characters in a way, although they're you know they're real folks. Um, but you're right. I mean, when I spent time with Joshua, I was I think it shows in my book. I was completely impressed by this guy's knowledge of science and physics. And, I mean, he just blew me away. I didn't know what he was talking about half the time. You know, I, I'm, not, I'm, not a, I'm not a real idiot. I'm mean, just a partial idiot. But, you know, I mean, he just was incredible. Uh, the knowledge that he had and everything else, I thought, wow, this guy is, you know, he's really going after this in a very sort of scientific, hardcore way. Um, you know, and then, then, of course, like I said, I had the other extremes of people who just, yeah, it's part of my religion. Of course I believe it. And it seems like each time that you worked with a different group, I mean, they took you to a a local haunt that they were pretty familiar with or had spent some time researching already. And when you were participating in the investigations, when you were there, you were a participant, but never were you part of the story. I mean, you always make sure that you describe what's going on and even what you're doing in the investigation without – you know, saying, "Hey, I went on this ghost hunt with these people, and here's what happened." You know what I mean? It's right. You you stay objective, but you also are an active participant, which is a hard balance. As a journalist myself, it's a hard balance to reach that. It is, and and I don't know. You know, I mean, I think you're being kind of. I may have strayed over the line a little bit, you know, here and there. But yeah, it is hard to do it, and and I and I was trying to be objective uh, because the book is not about me; it's about these other people. Um, and certainly, when I go on the investigations. I mean, actually, in reality, I kind of take a back seat. I mean, I mean, these are people that are doing this day in and day out, whereas I'm really not. Uh, you know, they live this 24-7, so I just let them do their thing, and I was sort of like, I was like a human camera and a human tape recorder, you know, like recording the visual images and, and what's being said and what's being spoken, and then I just spit it back out for my uh, for my readers. Now, how did you go about acquiring the... A uh, list of people that you wanted to work with for this book. Well, um, I, I mean, I was aware of some of these people, you know, like Josh Warren, for instance, and, and of course Ed and Lorraine Warren. And for your audiences, there's there's no no family relationship, just coincidentally have the same last name. Um, you know, these are people who I certainly was aware of simply in my own reading or my own study. You can't, as you mentioned about Josh and certainly Ed and Lorraine, if you're in this even just a little tiny bit. These are some names that you're going to see right away. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of the other people I kind of discovered a little bit more obliquely, like um, Andrew Nichols, for instance, who is in Florida, in Gainesville, Florida, and he's a psychologist, but he specializes in parapsychology. Uh, I think there was something in some book that I found, just a paragraph or something about him, but it turned out that uh, I also met a medium in Florida who knew of him, and she referred me and said, oh, you really need to check this guy out and everything else. And so I just I just basically tracked him down and just called him and said, you know, can I come down and visit you and tell him what I wanted to do? And, and he was agreeable, and so I just went down to his office in Florida, and, you know, we sat there and I talked to him for a while. Um, and he turned to be a very interesting person, had a very interesting take on, on the whole idea of ghosts. Uh, and, and he's a person that is more on the skeptical side. You know, he's a clinically trained 
psychologist. The reason why he's interested in parapsychology specifically is because he says that when he was a young boy, he saw his deceased sister uh, appear to him in his room. She was killed in a car accident. And he said, she was as real to me as, as you are right now. And I, you know, I know what I saw. I know what I experienced. And so he's been on this quest, really, to, to try to prove that ghosts exist. He said, you know, I, I would love to believe that because then that means that that experience with my sister was real. It was really her. And all. But, you know, he said, so far I don't have the evidence for it. And he has a lot of great uh, theories as to what ghosts are, what ghostly phenomena and phenomena is. Uh, but he said, you know, I, I'd really like to believe it, but right now I can't. Um, but just an interesting interview with the guy, and and I wasn't, you know, I thought, well, that's the kind of viewpoint that should be in here as well. Mm-hmm. Somebody who just says I don't see the evidence for it, you know. And the interesting uh, part about that chapter too is you realize just what he was saying and and how impactful it could be to the ideas behind the book. And that chapter is actually instead of being, uh, you know, uh, the storytelling narrative aspect that you've taken with the other chapters, it's pretty much just a straight interview. And you have just these huge blocks of Doctor Nichols, you know. <laughs> sharing his theory and when you read it you say you know this makes sense right right well you know we did not i mean we didn't do an investigation or anything together and i was literally sitting in his office across the desk for him so it was hard to make that you know a very interesting story other than sort of the q and a um, approach but i but i did think that that actually worked out because you know i had to edit down that conversation we spoke really? for hours oh man i mean if i put everything in there it would have been a book in its own right and he just got you know, again, talk about getting deep and getting into some really esoteric areas of psychology. I mean, you know, I had to try to – that was the hardest chapter in the book to write, believe it or not, because I really had to edit down so much of what he said to just kind of get a nice, concise chapter out of it that, that made sense and that my readers would be able to follow, I hope follow, you know, relatively easily. I think we have a call on the line for you, John. Great. And if anybody wants to call in with any questions or experiences or anything they'd like to talk about with our guest, John Kachuba, author of Ghost Hunters, uh, you can give us a call, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. you have a question for John? Uh, yeah, my name is Lloyd Raskumar. I was a friend of John's. I was a, I'm was i also the head of post-mortem paranormal investigation in uh, Middletown, New York. Yeah, how you doing, Lloyd? I am doing pretty good. <laughs> um, you know, a couple of years ago, I, I came to John with a concern of mine, and he took it very seriously. Uh, he helped me out, and um, he put me in line with Dave Considine, who's a ghost hunter out of um, Connecticut, and he's been on a couple of uh, A-hunting shows, and, and we battle with this. Um, exorcism in this house for about a year, and I'm talking about um, porcelain dolls turning his head to look at you, um, excrement coming down from the walls. I've had uh, numerous priests who were afraid to go into this house, um, three or four exorcisms that were done. But needless to say, we finally got the job done after it, it, it was a long case, about a year and a half. And, um, you know, John... Although he was writing books, he always took time to uh, email me back and to call me and to see how I was doing. And, you know, it, it was a guy that I just met online, and um, I asked him for his help, and he made sure that I was a first priority. And, you know, I really respect that, coming from an author of a book to take his work 
uh, seriously. So I do respect John and um, what he's doing and the book that he's writing, and he's a very serious man when it comes to uh, the paranormal. Well, I mean, John, we, we find ourselves in that position from time to time, too, where you're out there as like kind of that bridge between people and the researchers, and you have to kind of help them find the right person in their area to help them with a case. Yeah, that's right. Um, and, and first of all, Lloyd, thanks very much for your comments. I really appreciate that. And just to let you know also that in uh, Ghost Hunters, there's actually two chapters with David in there and his group, um, an investigation that we did in a Connecticut coffee house, and then just sort of a chapter about him and his group. So, you know, I don't know if you know that, but the book is out, and, and David is in there as well. Um, oh, yeah, I'm definitely going to pick it up. I've been in contact uh, with David, and um, definitely a nice group to uh, be in contact with. Um, they've definitely got their head on straight, and um, they're in for helping uh, individuals. We need more like them out there. Right. Well, Personally, I'm glad they were able to help, too. I'm, I'm really glad that they were able to, because the way you described that house to me and everything, it sounded, you know, pretty bad. I knew it was something that I didn't know that much about other than put you in touch with somebody else that did, you know. And I was struck yeah. when I read those chapters with just, you know, you get that sense that they really are just out to help people and just the overwhelming uh, casework that they must have to do all the time. And it's astounding when you think about it. You don't really want to believe that there's this much demonic activity, but they basically seem like this is a grind to them, that they're constantly uh, battling the demonic. That's true. I just, In fact, I just spoke to David. Um, we had a phone conversation probably about three weeks ago, three or four weeks ago, and he told me that at that point he was investigating something like 100 cases that he thought, you know, the possible demon demonic possession, not just hauntings, but possible demonic possessions, 100 cases in like the last seven or eight months. I'm thinking, that's, that's incredible. And he's only one of, I mean, there's other people doing that same kind of work. Can you imagine the numbers that there must no. be? It's scary when you think about it. Lloyd, thank you for uh, for calling in and sharing. Do you, does your group have a website you want to throw out there? Or? Uh, yes, it's uh, www.postmortem.org, P-O-S-T-M-O-R-T-U-M. Uh, and thank you for having me. And uh, take care, John. I'll stay in touch with you. Via Thanks, Lloyd. Good talking to you. Thank you. Thanks for calling. We actually have another call lined up here. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast with John Kachuba. How are you doing? Hello? Hi. Do you have a question for John Kachuba or anything yeah, about the paranormal? I, I was interested in knowing the name of the man who was on with you last week that had to do with reincarnation. Last week's guest was Richard Salva, S-A-L-V-A. Does he have a telephone number? Uh, he has a website. I don't know if his number is on the website. I don't. I don't have a computer. Um, what What I can do is um, at eleven o'clock when we take a news break. Why don't you give a call back and I'll take down your number then, and I'll see if I can put you in touch with Richard. Okay. All right. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you. I, I'm I'm interested in paranormal and in all these things. Well, we thank you for I, listening. I've had a lot of personal experiences, especially with dreams. With dreams, a lot of. Uh, you know, it's interesting that we were just talking about Dr. Nichols, John, because that's a lot of what he talked about in that chapter is the hypnagogic state and the dream state when people have paranormal experiences. Yeah. Right, right, yeah. And, and, he's not, and he's, he doesn't just casually dismiss it as dreams. I mean, for him, dreams are much more important. And, and he also thinks, too, that there could be some ESP uh, component to the whole idea of, mm -hmm. of ghosts. So yeah. it's not just, you know, a matter of sort of being in your head necessarily. Yeah. Okay, thank you very much. All right, just give me a call back at 11, and I'll, I'll get all that information from you. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. It, it's You see all these different 
aspects of of people that the paranormal reaches into i mean it's 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 always been out there but it's only the last few years that we've really started talking about it. it's become more prominent in the media and more accepted but when you see the all the different classes and types of people that it affects you can understand why the research community comes from all these different areas of of the world and different areas of society yeah absolutely and i mean that's even why you know you mentioned the, the subtitle you know ghost hunters is the main title but you know, would you look at the On the Trail of Mediums, Dowsers, Spirit Seekers, and Other Investigators, America's Paranormal World, it's exactly what I'm talking about, that there's such a, there's such a cross-section of people approaching this thing in a different way. They're coming from all different parts of our society. Some are, you know, people like Dr. Nichols, who are psychologists. There's people like me, who are just, you know, I, I don't know what we are, <laughs> you know, but there's, there's a whole range of people uh, with different talents, different uh, educational abilities, and uh, it's it's amazing how it has become so open today and so accepted. I think, you know, 20 years ago, I don't think it was like this. Uh, I can assure you it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, Matt Moniz, our science advisor, has been uh, investigating this stuff uh, for over 25 years, and it's it's funny because it's almost like, Coming on this show, uh, he joined us in the very early beginnings, and it's almost like until he got on the air and was able to start talking about it, even he wasn't that vocal about it with people. It wasn't something that he shared with a lot of people. Yeah. when I, Like I said, I started this back in 1982 uh, in, in high school with friends, you know, because I read various books like from Hans Holzer and, and, and the like, and I had my own experiences. So when you when you go back that far, most people back then would look at you like you're a nut, you know, for wanting to look into this right up in through the mid-90s. So, yeah, talking about this, you know, publicly was not the cool thing to do. <laughs> well, what do you think, John? Do you think it was kind of the explosion of the Internet or maybe uh, America's sensibilities post-9-11? I've heard a lot of different reasons as, the, as to why the paranormal is so out there. W- what's your theory? Well, you know, you mentioned you mentioned 9-11, you know, sort of sensibilities post-9-11. I, I do think there is something something to that. I, I think that when when we're faced as a people, as a group, with with something like nine eleven or or you know when World War One broke out or, or the big wars or Vietnam or anything like that, where where you know your mind is distracted by I don't know you know violence and just, just you know just a terrible world situation, you tend to look for something else. I mean, a lot of people turn to religion. Uh, you know, they find they find peace and comfort in, in going to church again or whatever. Um, but I think, I think something the paranormal can be a similar kind of, um, I don't know, something similar people can turn to. Not that it's a religion or anything, but you know, if you think about the idea of ghosts, if you think about the idea that they that they really do exist, let's say, well, what does that do for reality? If you can prove that ghosts exist, that sort of turns everything that we know as being real, right up on its head. I mean, it turns everything upside down. The whole world, you know, is suddenly changed if we can prove conclusively that, that something goes on after death. And so I think sometimes when the situations, like I said, you know, if you want to call them political or social or whatever, I think when they're rather bleak that, you know, um, interest in other things increase, and I think interest in the paranormal might be one. I mean, this is just my theory, but it does seem like in the last, you know, 15, 20 years or so, that, that this has been a big boom in America, uh, and it's evidenced by 
all the TV shows you see out there now, all the books like like mine and everybody else's that are coming out. Uh, you know how many radio and podcast shows are there, and how many ghost groups all across the country, and and ghost tours. You know, if you've got five people in your town, that's big enough to support a ghost tour. You know, and, and we always say if you have a digital camera and a website, a MySpace account, then you have a ghost hunting group. There you go. Absolutely, <laughs> exactly, absolutely. So you know, there is definitely something going on, um, and I think what's happened too is no matter what the original reasons for for sort of the popularity is, um, now. It is popular. So I think now it's much more acceptable. But it, it, the question, though, is is it, is it a trend or is it something that it's more uh, people are more enlightened now and it's now going to become part of our sensibilities? Or will it just fade back and eventually it'll be a joke to people as, as it was you know, 20 years ago? Right. I had, this, you know, I had the same conversation with Troy Taylor a couple months ago. We were talking about that. And he said he thought you know, that it comes and goes. And he thought, well, yeah, it's kind of on a crest right now. But he thought, eh, it's going to die off. I'm not sure. Because I think what's happening is there just seems to be a general interest, at least a lot of people that I know, um, to look at a whole lot of other sort of uh, esoteric learning, if you want to call it that, not just parapsychology, but all all kinds of things, not just ghosts, but, you know, all kinds of self-enlightenment and, you know, learning and and, an alternate kind of education. And, And so I think with all that going on there, that the paranormal is just going to get folded up into all that, and I think it's going to continue. Well, I hope it does, or else we're going to have to start talking about casino gambling in Massachusetts and all kinds of stuff on this show, and we're not ready for that. <laughs> I, I know the Wampanoag wants... Is the Wampanoag that wants a casino yeah, up there? Yeah. yeah. Okay. They're close to getting it, too. <laughs> is that right? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, Connecticut's doing pretty well with theirs. Well, we have a call on the line. We have about four minutes before the news, so let's try to sneak in this call. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. How are you doing? Hi, Tim. It's Chris. How Hi. are you? Good. Hey, I'd like to ask you guess, what conditions have to exist in order for a place to be referred to as a Hell's Gate? And does your uh, guests feel that these are forming as we speak? Hmm. I'm not sure what you mean by a Hell's Gate. Are you talking like, like a portal? Yes. Okay. Well, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if there's any... I'm not aware of any conditions. I mean, I think if... I don't know. I mean, I know people will go in, like mediums especially, and will say that they can tell that this is somehow a portal to, you know, wherever, and that spirits come and go through that. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure what the criteria is other than, uh, for one thing that I've heard, it's just simply the number of of um, spirits that they can say they actually know of, you know, in that location. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead of just being like one ghost or something, they'll say, you would not believe we've got scores of them, you know. Yes. Yeah. So that could be something. Okay. Um, but I and and I guess also I've heard something about a little bit more about electromagnetic um, mm-hmm. energy in those areas being really abnormal and really very uh, I won't say just high but very abnormal readings and, and sort of continually so that might be something. And what, what about a warp? What would that entail? I the way I read warp is it's pretty much the same thing. I thought. I mean, I don't I don't have a conception of it as being anything different than a portal. I mean. Mm-hmm. It, does it, does it mean something different to you? or? Well, yeah, I, I just thought that would be, you know, every, anything that defies the laws of uh, nature. You know, what goes up uh, is supposed to go up, and what comes down is supposed to come down, but it doesn't in a warp. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, that's something a little bit different. And I, I yeah. have to say I'm not, I'm not real educated on, on the warps. Really? You know, I didn't get that much off the Internet, too, so I thought I'd throw it out there and see if um, anybody knew. Well, 
Well, there's a, there's a good book that you should take a look at. Uh -huh. I just got. I'm starting now, and I think it might answer that. It's called Science, but it's spelled P S I E N C E, and it's by Marie Jones. Okay. Yeah, you know that book, I and mean, um, she talks about quantum physics and mm -hmm. new science and all that stuff, and she probably addresses that. In oh, good, because I'm just starting to get into that part of it, that aspect of it. So. Yeah, take a look at that. I mean, it's, yes. It's, it's, okay. it's, I think it's a good book. Oh, great. Well, thank you, John. Sure. Thanks, Thanks Tim. Bye. Chris. Thanks, Chris. <laughs> She's, uh, yeah, she, she, um, I'm going to have to see if she can, uh, get in touch with us, uh, through MySpace, if Chris can, because Marie Jones is on our MySpace and she's always available to answer questions and maybe they can set up a dialogue, uh, after she reads the book, too. Yeah. And she's very big on, I mean, that sort of thing is this whole idea of quantum physics and new science. And if anybody would have a handle on that, it's probably her. Sure. And there's, there's another local guy to us. Uh, he's in Rhode Island. His name's Paul Eno. Uh, he's also following up in that. He's, he's starting to, Tend to believe that that's all that that ghost star is just a view into a into another reality. Right, that's a whole different field, and I, and I I tend to think that that might be what it's all about too, actually. All right, well we uh, we have a, the news coming up, the CBS news, and then on the other side we'll do our weekly news segment, the Week and Weird. We'll talk to you about some interesting stuff. You know, last week we talked in the Week and Weird about Star Trek, so now we're going to talk about Star Wars in this week's Week and Weird. You know, just to keep on on the on the trend, and uh, we'll also tell you about a lost city. Uh, as well as out-of-body experiences. And then after that, we'll be back with more with John Kachuba. I want to get his thoughts on the spiritualist church because he spent some time studying that. And uh, also we'll talk to him about some of the other people in, that are in his book, Ghost Hunters, on the trail of mediums, dowsers, spirit seekers, and other investigators of America's paranormal world. And if, if you want to check out his website, it's johnkachuba.com. And it's also linked up to our website, SpookySouthCoast.com. You can even see pictures of the Ghost Hunter Mobile there as well. So stay tuned. We'll be right back with more in just about five or six minutes here on Spooky South Coast. Do you know what that music means? Ooh, we're stuck in an elevator? No! <laughs> Spooky South Coast is back. I'm not afraid. You will be. Welcome back, hour number two of Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the Asylum Assassin, Matt Costa and science advisor Matt Moniz. And we are going to get back into the discussion in just a little bit with author John Kachuba, the, the author of Ghost Hunters and on the Trail of Mediums, Dowsers, Spirit Seekers, and other investigators of America's paranormal world. And uh, we want you to join in the conversation as well. Let us know uh, what philosophies uh, in terms of ghost hunting that you buy into. Do you believe in mediums? Do you believe in dowsers? Do you believe in the idea of demonology? Uh, give us a call at 508-996-0500, 508-2910-500, and you can join in that discussion. 
And, of course, the discussion goes on all week long on our website, SpookySouthCoast.com, where you can uh, join up uh, with our message board and, and chat with other people who listen to the show. And there's some really knowledgeable people there. I mean, it's uh, some researchers go on there. Keith Johnson goes on there a lot. Uh, Kristen from TAPS. All these people are there all the time, and they're willing to chat with you about the paranormal. Also, if you have a MySpace account and you haven't become our MySpace friend yet, what are you waiting for? We need all the friends we can get. And it's myspace.com slash spooky south coast where you'll get daily bulletins about everything going on with the show. Uh, we send out a bulletin uh, as soon as the show is posted online with a little icon right in there that you can listen to it online just in case you want to hear it again. And, of course, we are streaming it live every week on SpookySouthCoast.com and WBSM.com. So I think we got all the plugs in. Oh, no, wait, one more. It's football season. I don't know if you guys know that. What does football have to do with the paranormal? So far, absolutely nothing. But we have started the Spooky South Coast Fantasy Football League, and if you'd like to join, all you have to do is email me, tim at spookysouthcoast.com, or send me a bulletin on MySpace, uh, a message on MySpace, and uh, I'll send you the link to join the Spooky South Coast Fantasy Football League. Now, what kind of uh, prizes can you win in the Fantasy Football League? Uh, probably none. But the advantage is you're going to get a whole bunch of people in there that don't know anything about football, such as Matt Costa and Matt Moniz, because I'm going to make them start teams. What do you think? No? It ain't going to happen. Okay. Well, I know I can get I'll Costa. I'll do it. All right. I'm up for anything. And, you, you, and, and then I'll talk you into drafting. I'll tell you, you know that, that Tom Brady guy that you drafted? He's not really that good, so you I should hear, trade him I to me. not. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> but you'll have the advantage of possibly winning because there's going to be a bunch of people in there that don't know anything about football, so... There's always that. So, Does uh, Icky Woods still play? The Icky Shuffle? Yeah. I think he's retired. Damn. Yeah, I know. That's the only football player I know. <laughs> and my favorite. He's your favorite? Mm-hmm. Is that just because of the Icky Shuffle? It is. Okay. Well, we know you haven't watched any baseball games. Have you watched a football game? I have. Yeah, you've been at my house for a couple of Super Bowl parties, yeah. but I think by the time the game started, you weren't really in any shape to no. watch what was going on. No. Good times. I've seen the beginning of many football games. <laughs> Uh, that's pretty weird. You know what else is weird? More bad news. Well, I got a great show for you today with some wonderful weird stuff. I feel, I feel so very weird. <laughs> the Week in Weird. All right, and our first story this week comes from Yahoo News, and it was submitted to us by one of our readers, Victor. For centuries, people have claimed to have had out-of-body experiences, but now scientists have recreated the sensation without using drugs in the first experiments of their kind, a study said Thursday. And, you know, just as a side note, we can talk about this with John Kachuba later, but a lot of people say they won't believe in paranormal phenomena until it can be achieved in a laboratory setting. Well, here we go. Something that's supposedly paranormal... Achieved in a laboratory setting. As many as 1 in 10 people say they have experienced the sensation of being awake and seeing their own body from another location, according to the study published in the journal Science. Now neuroscientists have manipulated a group of perfectly healthy volunteers into thinking they have moved outside their bodies by distorting their perception of reality. Using virtual reality goggles to mix up the sensory signals reaching the brain, they induced the volunteers into projecting their awareness into a virtual body. Participants confirmed they had experience sitting behind their physical body and looking at it. The illusion was so strong that the volunteers reacted with a palpable sense of fear 
when their virtual selves were threatened with physical force. The findings suggest that there may be a scientific explanation for these types of auto-body experiences, which are often thought of as delusional or paranormal, and the scientists believe their research could have an important application. The invention of this illusion is important because it reveals the basic mechanism that produces the feeling of being inside the physical body, said neuroscientist Heinrich Erson of Sweden's Karolinska Institute. This represents a significant advance because the experience of one's own body as the center of awareness is a fundamental aspect of self-consciousness. And it's also what my wife accuses me of all the time, being the center of my own universe. And inducing people to have out-of-body experiences could have wide-ranging uses, he believes. This is essentially a means of projecting yourself, a form of teleportation. If we can project people into a virtual character so they feel and respond as if they were really in a virtual version of themselves, just imagine the implications. The experience of video games could reach a whole new level, but it could go much beyond that. For example, a surgeon could perform remote surgery by controlling their virtual self from a different location. But scientists still don't know exactly what causes such experiences, which have often been associated with traumatic experiences such as car accidents and linked to compromised brain function in epileptics, drug addicts, and stroke victims. Brain dysfunctions and interfere with interpreting sensory signals that may be responsible for clinical cases of out-of-body experiences, said Erson, though whether all out-of-body experiences arise from the same causes is still an open question. So, And I know that out-of-body experiences is something that a lot of our listeners have, have had and have shared with us through phone calls here into the show in the past. So if they can recreate it, maybe people who have actually had these experiences can try and go through that process and say, yeah, that's similar to what happened here. No, that's nothing like what happened. Every bit helps. Matt Costa, what do you have for us? All right. As the crop circle, crop circle season draws to a close, Oxfordshire County has suffered one of its most barren peri- periods for years. Only three have been spotted compared to seven last year and 13 in 2005. Blame for the death of the crop circles springing up around the country has been placed on the major major summer floods. Jeff Ambler, or Geoff, as I like to say, of the uh, Oxfordshire Center for Crop Circle Studies has been tracking the phenomenon for 20 years. He believes around 10% of them are actually man-made, while the rest are created by non-humans. He said they remain very strong in Wiltshire, but everywhere else it has, it has died down. Crop circles first appeared in the English countryside in the late 70s, often near ancient sites. Enthusiasts offered various explanations from visits by alien spaceships to freak weather conditions or whirlwinds. In 1991, Doug Bauer and Dave Dave Corey (laughs) admitted making crop circles in England since 1976 after being confronted by their wives who thought they were out having affairs. (laughs) The duo revealed they they were making the circles with planks, ropes, and wire. Many other enthusiasts have since joined groups to make more and more intricate designs, but some skeptics, including Matt Moniz, doubt all are man-made. Well, what do you think, Matt Moniz? As somebody who has both investigated crop circles and created crop circles. Well, number one, Doug Bauer and Dave Chorley were actually found out to be hoaxes themselves, but the media never picked up on that. Uh, no, they were actually proven to be put up to... Put up to admit uh, that... Right. Yeah. So it's a hoax of a hoax. They, right. Okay. They, they were the actual hoaxes, but that the media never picked up on that. Um, 
now there are plenty of hoaxes that happen out there. I went out there in 1992 when they had the great hoaxing competition. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was out there with Rosemary and Guiley, a good friend of ours in Spooky South Coast. And we were there. And uh, it was amazing because the winners of the hoaxing competition took six hours. It was uh, roughly eight guys that have never made a crop circle before. And all of the leading quote unquote you know, best circle makers as they claim to be were beat out by these guys. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what made it really interesting is the most amount of other crop circles happened that night around the area. <laughs> now, ha ha they can't say that, you know, they can't claim them because we all know where they were. They were right there in the field where everybody else is watching. So Now, but what were the conditions that these crop circles were created under? Was it in the middle of the night, in darkness? It, it just like what would regularly what, happen. Regular That's another fallacy. Most crop circles don't generally just happen at night. They happen during the day to, daytime as well, broad daylight. So there you have it. And, of course, we'll have to do a whole future show on crop circles just because it's it's such a polarizing topic. Uh, of, See of if I get my old buddy, uh, you yeah, and. Andrew Collins to come on with us, and then maybe we'll have a we'll have a spooky South Coast competition. See who can make the best crop circle in their backyard. Ruin your lawn for the sake of our show. That sounds good. All right, Matt Moniz, what do you have for us? This is uh, from thisiswiltshire.com. A renowned archaeologist who shot a national prominence who was shot to national prominence last year with his amazing discovery of Stonehenge lost stone altar by roadside in uh, Berwick St. James now claims to have found the famed lost city of Apollo in the land around Stonehenge. Dennis Price who is an expert in the history of Stonehenge and who used to work with Wessex archaeology believes the lost city of Apollo is located in Kings Barrow Ridge overlooking Stonehenge. The lost city is believed by many to be the mythical but believed to be mythical, but after working with language experts at Exeter University, Mr. Price is convinced that the city exists, and it is right here in the outskirts of Salisbury. The team painstakingly deciphered works of an ancient Greek mariner named Pythias of Massilia. Mr. Price explained that uh, Pythias was known to have visited Britain in around 325 BC, and in his chronicles he wrote of a lost city of Apollo and a site similar to Stonehenge. He said, quote, there, there is a passage that appears to reference Stonehenge, which has, a long, which has long fascinated people, but there is also repeated references made to a city sacred to Apollo, which has also gone completely unremarked upon. It was this first which intrigued Mr. Price and led him to look a little harder at Pythia's text and this deeper investigation allowed him to find the exact location of the city, although further excavation of the site will prove whether or not he is correct. Alright, and that was also sent in by a reader, so that's two readers that have bumper stickers coming. Keep your tally up, uh, Silent Assassin. Alright, one last quick story from FloridaToday.com Coming soon from a galaxy far, far away, the original lightsaber wielded by Luke Skywalker will be delivered to NASA for launch in late October, aboard Shuttle Discovery, a flight that will mark the 30th anniversary of the 1977 release of the movie classic Star Wars. The lightsaber will be delivered today to Houston Hobby Airport, which is located about 30 minutes north of NASA's Johnson Space Center, 
Stormtroopers R2-D2 and others will escort it off the plane and into a crowd of airline travelers and Star Wars fans. The lightsaber will be transported to the Space Center in Houston, the visitor complex on NASA Road 1 near the main gate to JSC, where it will be on display through Labor Day. Then it will be shipped to Kennedy Space Center and stowed in the Orbiter Discovery's mid-deck during the shuttle's 13-day round trip to the International Space Station. All right, so there you have it. That is the Week and Weird for this week. If you have a Week and Weird story you'd like to pass on and want a bumper sticker for doing so, you can go to the message board at SpookySouthCoast.com, drop it in there in the Week and Weird thread, and if we read on the air, you will get that sticker. So we will be right back in just a few minutes with more with author John Kachuba, the author of Ghost Hunters, on the trail of mediums, dowsers, spirit seekers, and other investigators of America's paranormal world. Be right back here on Spooky Cell. Civilizations, extraterrestrials, myths and monsters, missing persons, magic and witchcraft, unexplained phenomena. For 58 years, Fate has provided true reports of the strange and unknown. Fate is a factual magazine containing articles by experts in all walks of life and by others just like you who have had something dynamic, significant, and truthful to say. Keep up with the latest on all aspects of the paranormal. Angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, and much, much more. To subscribe, call now at 1-800-728-2730 or visit their website at fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. I'm knitting myself a hat And I'm sewing up a head to wear it on I'm making myself some mittens And I'm stitching my fingers together to keep them warm inside I'm knitting myself a sweater to cover the body I'm wearing. Knitting! 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 I always feel like Rockwell's watching me, but that's because he's, he's gonna watch sta- somebody. That's because he's standing out on the corner where the science is. We'll make mm. we'll make R and B songs for food. Zing. Yeah. <laughs> you know why they call him Rockwell? He used to Rockwell. Yeah, not anymore. But we digress. Welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin, Matt Costa, and science advisor, Matt Moniz. And uh, we are talking with author John Kachuba, 
his his new book is called Ghost Hunters on the Trail of Mediums, Dowsers, Spirit Seekers, and Other Investigators and Investigators of America's Paranormal World. Uh, he's also written Ghost Hunting Ohio and Ghost Hunting Illinois, as well as a bunch of other books as well. You can check them out on johnkachuba.com, also linked up to spookysouthcoast.com. But he also has a, a new book that he's working on as well. Uh, John, now that version is, is an international version of, of Ghost Hunters? I do, yeah. Um, you know, after writing Ghost Hunters and, and sort of going coast to coast, I just got more and more interested in sort of the differences again and how people think about the paranormal and uh, you know how they go about studying it and, and that kind of thing. And I started thinking, you know, everybody, pretty much every country and every culture has has some belief in spirits and the afterlife and all that. And I was curious as to what similarities there were, what, you know, what was dissimilar. I mean, how does a Japanese ghost, for instance, how is a Japanese ghost and Japanese ghost stories and belief in ghosts differ from what people believe in Scotland or what they believe, you know, in Massachusetts. I mean, and I found there's a lot of cultural differences as well as a lot of similarities. And so the new book, I think, is going to be very interesting because it will be haunted locations around the world. Uh, and, again, like Ghost Hunters, you know, I'll talk to different people in the field. Uh, but, I, but I also want to explore really a lot of the cultural, uh, religious, social, you know, backgrounds and beliefs that enter into uh into a country's respective paranormal views. Well, because every every country, every culture seems to have uh, ghosts uh, within their cultural histories. That's right. I mean, you'd be really hard pressed to find some society that doesn't have some kind of a belief in in ghosts or or spirits that are you know beyond human uh, the human form. You know. And now, is there going to be a ghost hunter plane? Like the Ghost Hunter Mobile, is that how you're going to get around? Or? <laughs> well, maybe I could do that. Yeah, maybe I can get some old plane painted up. My wife has said to me, well, you know, you've got to get an old suitcase, and you've got to paint ghost stuff all over the suitcase, at least as you travel around with that and go through customs and security. So, yeah, that should be a good idea. <laughs> you know, and you mentioned your wife, Mary, who actually goes on a lot of these uh, adventures with you in the book. Uh, is she just as much into the paranormal as you are? No, not at all, actually. But my my wife has a Ph.D. in toxicology and environmental health, and she is, you know, very much a scientist. I mean, she's taught in universities. She's worked for the U.S. Public Health Service. Um, she she is a, a complete skeptic, uh, and yet, and yet, you know, she has traveled with me on a lot of these trips. And uh, you know, I can recall one place, for instance, that we stayed in, which was a hotel, an old inn in. Uh, Ohio was built in 1813, and it was haunted. And of course, we asked for the haunted room. And uh, you know, although there wasn't anything tremendously exciting, she did say, uh, "You know, I got to say, three o'clock in the morning when you keep waking up for no reason and you hear wind in the room and there's no wind, uh, you know, science sometimes goes out the window." <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> so I don't know. Now, uh, when you do travel around you are investigating these accounts for the other books uh i thought i read someone on your website you actually want people to send suggestions to you or have you already mapped out like an itinerary right exactly um well for int for ghost hunting international which is uh, sort of the tentative title for the new international book um i do have a website called ghosthuntinginternational.com and actually people can either put that in the search box and it'll come up or they can go through the website you've mentioned earlier, my www.johnkachuba.com, and there's a Ghost Hunting International tab in there that you can click on. 
what I've set up is I set up um, a Google uh, world map on there so that people can post their own stories from all around the world. You know, if somebody from Italy has a story, uh, they can post it on a form that I have, and, you know, there'll be a little marker in Italy, and uh, the story will be up there. And if they have pictures, they can send pictures. So, yes, I'm definitely encouraging, you know, anybody uh, to, if they have any stories from around the world, to, to post them up there just for other people to to read and share and, you know, put their own up, too. And if you uh, want to share any experiences with John tonight, you can give us a call, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. Now, John, with all the different approaches uh, that you worked with, and the, the one that I was most interested in was the Spiritualist Church, because I don't really have a lot of uh, experience with them. Mm-hmm. There is a Spiritualist Church in my town that well, we've crossed paths many times as as I'm out there. You know, they'll have a psychic fair at the Elks Club, and I'll attend that, and they're always there. And right. I've come across them, but I never really knew what they were all about. It was, it was kind of this, you know, I just look at spiritualism, uh, what I know about the history of it, and I, I try to think of what it must translate into, and I just picture, like, you know, the 180-year-old decrepit forms of the Fox sisters up in front leading everybody <laughs> in a seance. Right, but right. It's, it's quite the opposite of that, actually. Well, it, it is. And, you know, like yourself, I didn't really know much about it other than the history, you know, reading about the Fox sisters and then sort of in the Victorian era and World War One when it became very popular. Well, right through the Civil War, right up to World War One, um, and people like Sir, Ar- you know, Sir Conan Doyle and uh, a lot of famous people who were, you know, diehard spiritualists. And there was also a lot of, a lot of hoaxes and a lot of, uh, you know, chicanery going on as well. But, but the true spiritualists, I mean, there are spiritualist churches today in the United States, well, around the world, uh, and these people, uh, for them, the idea of an afterlife is is totally, it's completely their religion. They they believe that everybody goes to what they call summerland, actually, is their term. They don't have a heaven and hell concept as much as just everybody goes to summerland. It's also and, a great song by Everclear as well, but <laughs> I digress. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> but uh, the thing, their services, I, I, I attended some of their services uh, at a church here in Ohio, and, you know, it was very much like any kind of... Um, like any kind of a Christian church, for the most part. I mean, they sang hymns that probably any anybody who was a Christian would say, I recognize those those hymns. The prayers were pretty much the same. Uh, you know, everything was very much like it. But at the end, uh, you know, the, the minister of the church got up and said, okay, well, now comes the part of the service for which we are known, for what we do. And that was literally to have people, one or two different people, come up, as they say, on the platform which in this case is before the audience, and and to get messages from spirit, as they say. And what these people would do, it's incredible. They would just walk around. They were very excited, very energetic, very animated, because part of their belief is that they have to raise their frequencies, their energy to a higher level, and spirit lowers its energy and frequencies to a lower level, and the idea is that they meet, you know, and then when they meet, that's when this contact happens, when communication is made. ADC, they call it, after-death communication. And um, it's it's interesting because, uh, you know, the psychic will be walking around uh, the, the medium and will say something like, okay, I'm getting a name Charlie. Is anybody, you know, is Charlie mean anything? And maybe two or three hands will go up in the audience. And she'll kind of look around and, and she'll say, well, what's your Charlie? And somebody will say, uh, well, that was my dog. And say, no, 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 it's not that. And so they'll say, well... Charlie was my uncle, and said, okay, well, this seems to be a man. So she'd go over closer to that woman. 
or whoever it was, and he'll say, "Okay, um, I'm getting uh, I'm getting a, another image. Um, I'm seeing a waterfall. Does that does that mean anything?" And the person will say, "Well, my uncle Charlie had a cabin, you know, in the woods, and there was a waterfall nearby. Yeah, that kind of thing." Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's really phenomenal uh, because you know they what they try to do is um, they they really think that they're acting almost as as doctors in a way for people who are in need of talking to spirit that somehow spirit is coming back to contact friends or family or sometimes even total strangers to somehow help them with with some issue or some problem that that person here has. And so they consider themselves almost like physicians that they're they're making that contact uh of putting spirit you know in touch with with people who who need their help but i mean the, at the same time though I mean how much are they just grasping at straws and and making connections you know like we've seen john edward and and, and mm-hmm. psychics like that on t v I mean you were there and you've experienced this is it a little bit more of a deeper connection than that? It can be. I mean, I have to say, I've I've witnessed this, you know, several times, both in Florida. I went to Casadega. I went to the spiritualist camp at Casadega, Florida, which is equivalent, sort of, to Lilydale in New York. That people know about that place as well. Um, and I went to, you know, services here at the church in uh, one of the churches in Ohio. And I've seen varying degrees of um, what should I say uh, of effectiveness. I guess. I mean, I've seen other. I've seen. People deliver messages that I said, well, you know, that's pretty vague and pretty general, and, you know, I could just maybe pull that out, too, you know. Uh, but on the other hand, I've heard people say things that the person in the audience would, you know, like literally start crying and say, how, you know, how, I don't know how you knew that or something. So I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. I mean, there's a wide range of abilities again. In fact, one of the services I went to began with a person who was a student, uh, and this was her very first time on the platform, as they said. And she was a little nervous and a little shaky, and I thought that her her reading, as they call it, was was pretty general, was pretty vague, uh, that maybe a lot of people could have said, well, yeah, that could apply to you know my sister or my uncle, you know, I don't know. Uh, but the woman that followed her was an ordained minister, had already gone through all her training and certification and everything else, and she was getting some what they call hits. Uh, people in the audience were definitely saying, oh, yeah, that's that's definitely, you know, my Uncle Bill or something. Now, of course, I can't verify that. I don't, I don't know the Uncle Bill, but judging by the reaction from the people in the audience, uh, they were definitely getting what they needed, what they wanted. So, I mean, yeah, it's... It, to some people, it is going to be subjective experience. I mean, if they're looking for it, they'll they'll jump on any connection. But I mean, generally, as, as you describe in the book, it, it seems like they're they're learning to tune into these sensibilities. Right, and they would admit that. I mean, to them, that they're they're not trying to fool anybody, and they will say yes. I mean, part of what we do is is that we're able to tune into uh, you know body language and all that kind of stuff to see if we're even on the right track, uh, and you know. People sometimes, if they're in a, in a situation like that, will say, you know, well, I'm, I'm going to try to trick this person. I'm not going to answer. If they say uh, Charlie, I'm going to say, no, I don't, I don't have a Charlie. When, in fact, I do or something to see if I can trip them up to see, you know. And, and people who are spiritualists will say, well, don't, don't do that. I mean, if you go to a doctor and the doctor says, you know, do you have pain in your head? And you do. You don't say no, <laughs> you know. 
<laughs> so they say that they, they use that, but they want people to, to not be trying to, to fool them because they're, they think they're really trying to help and it's, uh, you know, it's therapeutic and healing according to, uh, you know, their, their beliefs and their, their system. Hey, well, why don't we take our final break of the night? When we come back, we're going to talk about a couple of famous uh, famous cases uh, in the paranormal, but not famous names. Uh, that you, We'll talk a little bit about the people behind these uh, media sensations, and, and we'll talk about that with author John Kachuba. And you can find out more about his book. Go to his website, johnkachuba.com, ghosthuntinginternational.com, or spookysouthcoast.com. We'll be right back with more here on Spooky South Coast. Don't look now, but Spooky South Coast is creeping up behind you right after this. Turn on all your lights, lock the doors, and pull down the shades. Spooky South Coast is back. Welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Wise right here, along with the silent assassin Matt Costa, science advisor Matt Moniz, and we are talking to author John Kachuba about his book Ghost Hunters on the Trail of Mediums, Dowsers, Spirit Seekers, and Other Investigators of America's Paranormal World. And uh, we'll also take your calls. Uh, we got about 15, 20 minutes here left in the show, so if you want to check in, 508-996-0500. 508-291-0500. But, uh, John, I wanted to talk to you about a, a couple of the people that you interviewed in your book. Um, and that's Denise Jones, whose son was the, the inspiration behind the movie The Sixth Sense. And uh, also uh, Marianne, I hope I pronounced her name, uh, Wachowski. Wachowski, uh-huh. the psychic who kind of uh, gave rise to the TV show Ghost Whisperer. Right, absolutely. Um, well, Denise was interesting. Uh you know, her son has had horrendous experiences pretty much all his life. And, yes, you're right, uh, the sixth sense pretty much uh, is, is, is his life. I mean, that's the kind of life he led with all these uh, horrific visions and visitations and whatever. Uh, and, you know, she, she was with him through all this and everything. He's now like uh, 18, 19 years old now and, I guess, doing well, although he still, he still has a lot of these... Um, ghostly phenomena, whatever you want to call it, psychic phenomena, but he's learned to sort of live with it, and, and uh, I wouldn't say control it, but he's not, uh, he's not living in terror like he was for many years as a, as a small boy. Um, but what's interesting about what Denise has done is she has formed an, org, uh, an organization called LIFE, L-I-F-E, which stands for Living in Fear Ends. And in fact, that's the title of the chapter with her. Um, and now she serves as sort of a clearinghouse um, or a resource center, I guess, for other people who are, are having this similar situation. If they have somebody in their family who is apparently plagued by, you know, by ghosts and they don't have to do with it. Um, part of what she told me as I talked to her was that she didn't know where to go. She had no place to go for help. So she went to her church and they refused help and she tried to talk to, you know, medical doctors and psychiatrists and for the most part, they would do the, the simple routine medical things and um, ruled her son normal in, in every way, but would not offer her any kind of help for what was apparently still happening to her son. Um, so, you know, she felt like she had no place to turn. So now she, in turn, is offering this uh, this service um, to other people, and uh, she gets she gets a lot of email and a lot of calls relative to people looking for help. I mean. 
again, the numbers, as you're talking earlier about uh, David Considine with mm-hmm. uh, demonic cases and everything, it's amazing how many people seem to be going through these kinds of experiences. Denise is very accessible. I mean, I think she's really helped a lot of people, and, and that's helped build up like a referral type of thing. If you need somebody to turn to, you know, talk to Denise. And and she puts it out there of, of what happens with her son, but she doesn't, you know what I mean? She's she's not somebody who wants to go on every radio show and television show and, and push, you know, her own personal experiences. She wants to push, you know, that fact that, you know, she has this life foundation and that it can help people. Because it is, it did seem like such an extreme case what happened with her son, and if I know I've heard her say in the past that if somebody experienced only a portion of what he was experiencing, it must have been terrifying for them. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, these things started when he was very small, and I, I don't have the book right in front of me, but I think he was about six years old or something, I guess, when when he first um, started seeing these ghosts. And it turns out one of them was actually um, his grandfather, who actually was a guardian, but you know, at the time at six years old, he didn't understand that. Um, but he just had such such um, such awful things, not just seeing things, but you know, literally being beaten and scratched and tormented. And uh, just, I mean, you know, if you you have to read the chapter, or actually, she wrote a book about it herself too. Um, and it's just incredible to to imagine how anybody could go through this. First of all, maintain their sanity and and maintain their their physical health, and not just crack under the pressure, you know. Um, so yeah, it's it's a pretty incredible experience, and I think she is offering a pretty good service to uh, to folks that are in need of that. And of course, um, oh sorry, go ahead. I was, was going to say, uh, Marianne Wankowski, on the other hand, um, is is somebody much different. She has, she said, since she was the age of three, she'd been able to see dead people. Like you know, I, I see dead people like the sixth sense, like this other boy. Um, but her her case is a little bit different in that she has a very narrow window in which she can contact the dead. And she said that that is between the time when they die and when they actually pass over, um, cross over into the light or however you want to refer it. Go on to wherever it is we go on. And uh, she said, you know, it's really a, it's a very short time. Uh, and as long as she does not make any contact with the ghosts themselves, she's fine. She said that she can sense that they're all around her. I mean, she can see them. She said, the minute I make eye contact with a ghost, she said, I'm in trouble because then they'll just hound me because they know that I can see them and I can talk to them and communicate with them. And so now they want to communicate with me. And she said it's just unbelievable that she has to almost put up like like shields, like mental shields, so that she doesn't look and see, oh, no, I just looked at another ghost. Now he's going to be hassling me until I give him peace or whatever. Well, I've always I've always thought of her story as, I don't know if you've ever seen the Michael J. Fox film, The Frighteners. No, I don't think so. He's he's the similar type of situation. He he gets into an accident, and after that he can see ghosts. And, and, and once they realize, like, hey, hey, you can see me. Hey, right. buddy, you got to help me. <laughs> and that must be what she gets barraged with all the time. Exactly. And and she is the model for, uh, in my chapter, I call her the real ghost whisperer in the book. And she is the model for the show, the TV show, Ghost Whisperer with um, Jennifer Love Hewitt. And, in fact, Marianne Winkowski is also a consultant to that series. Uh, and she gets to look at the script and everything else like that and try to say, well, you know, I this wouldn't have really gone down this way. Here's how it would have gone or whatever. Um, but so, yeah, she's had she's had these experiences, and uh, and she is 
she's she's a really down to earth person, which is amazing because I would think anybody who has those kinds of abilities, and I certainly don't, uh, you know, would would not be able to sort of just maintain the everyday demeanor of a typical midwife. She's she's from Ohio, also a typical Midwest Ohio woman, but she does. You would never, you know. She's very friendly. She's very outgoing. Uh, the one question I do have to ask, though, you know, being the inspiration for the show, Ghost uh-huh. Whisperer, she doesn't show nearly as much, much cleavage as, as uh, <laughs> Jennifer Love Hewitt shows, does she? No, she a doesn't. More buttoned up? No, she doesn't. And in fact, by her own admission, there's a photo of her in a book. And, and the very first thing she said to me when I sat down is she goes, Well, the only thing similar between Jennifer Love Hewitt and myself is the same color hair. Uh, <laughs> Marianne is. She's like uh, you know mid mid to late fifties, and she's a little bit on the um, larger size, um, you know. And uh, <laughs> yeah, she's not Jennifer. <laughs> well, uh, it, you know, maybe for the Ghost Hunting International, you can get a sit down with Jennifer Love Hewitt. You know? Well, you know, actually, she had agreed to give an interview for this book for Ghost Hunters, and uh, I kept working with her publicist. We're trying to find a date to set it up, but it was definitely a go. And the next thing I know, well, she's not going to do it. Oh, she must have heard some stories about you or something. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what it was. But I did get also in that chapter an interview with um, John Gray, who is the executive uh, director and producer mm-hmm. of, of the show, uh, because he actually he's one that, you know, brought Marianne into this, but he actually had ghosts in his house in New York, and Marianne flew out to take care of that situation for him. Sounds like a, a an easy script to pen sometime if they run out of ideas. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> now, one thing I want to talk to you about, and and this is something that I, I really like this chapter because it's something that we've looked into and it's something people talk about, and that's the idea of being licensed as a ghost hunter. And, of course, you know now you're able to call yourself a certified ghost hunter because right. you've gone through the certification process. But you, you talk about all these different organizations that have – courses that they offer, classes, uh, exams right. that you can take, and, and permits and certification, and, but it all means nothing. Right, exactly. I mean, there is, you know, it's not like the American Medical Association, you know, governing board for everybody. If you get your medical license, you know, it's with the AMA, and there's certain standard and criteria that you have to follow, and, you know, certain body of knowledge you have to have and everything else before you get certified. And then, of course, you get licensed by the state to practice medicine and all that. Um, there isn't anything like that for people involved in the paranormal. Um, and yet there are people, like you said, exactly. I went through the course with Patty Starr in Lexington, Kentucky, and Patty is a, is a wonderful woman, um, very sincere and very dedicated. And I thought the course was great because, I mean, I learned things. You know, I learned how to use different kinds of equipment. I learned how she proceeds on investigations. And I think that, you know, those kinds of courses are interesting to take and probably valuable, but what does it mean to say that okay, you're certified or you're you're a light? Well, no one says licensed. Although actually, there is somebody on the website that called themselves a licensed paranormal investigator. And I thought they were in Massachusetts, and I said, yeah, well, it says in the book, yeah, Massachusetts. Yeah, and of course, you know, licensed by whom? I mean, there is no such thing as well, a they license. Have a, they have a driver's license; they can go to wherever <laughs> you're located. That's right. I have a driver's license, right? So, I mean, I, I sort of make fun of it, but on the other hand, um, I, I throw it out there because I think it's an interesting concept. I mean, wouldn't it be interesting if there was some some mutually agreed upon association that, that developed for the whole paranormal community that became something like the AMA? Well, then, Matt yeah. Moniz is part of a, a group called IPI, and he's coming up with the whole standards and practices and, and the 
uh, procedures. What's the ex- exact term? The scientific. Well, protocols. Protocols, yes. Yeah. Right, exactly. And, I, and I've seen IPI on the websites, and I'm, I'm aware of that, and I think that's a great idea. I mean, I think it would be very helpful to have sort of a, kind of an established protocol, you know, methodology. Um, I mean, having said that, there's all different approaches to this, as, mm-hmm. as you guys know. There's different ways of doing investigations and everything else. But it would be nice if there was kind of a, an agreed-upon body of knowledge, you know, that we can say, okay, if you're really doing this, Here's what you should be doing, or here's what you should know, um, because if there are a lot of people out there who are also just kind of running around and you know having a good scary night, you know, with a six pack, um, and, that, and that's much different than taking a more serious attitude about it. I, it's it's different too because I mean depending on what you take for a course or, or what you're willing to pay. I mean Keith Johnson, the demonologist and, and founder of Near. Uh, he is local to us. He's in Rhode Island, and he does classes here in the city of New Bedford a couple times a year. I think they charge like thirty nine dollars to to have people go and take this course. And in that course, he gives you a basic rundown of how to investigate the different types of hauntings. He shows you some evidence, shows you some equipment. But you know, come to find out, out of that thirty nine dollars that he charges everybody, almost all of it goes back to the building uh, for usage fees for the building and, and for the course and everything. And he's just there, you know, on behalf of them. Uh, so he's making nothing. But some of these groups are charging $150 for the same course, and, and they get to keep all the money because, you know, whatever they'll do. Right. In, in well, and some of them are charging a fair amount of money uh, for something just online, you know, where you take a little course for you know, 20 minutes, it takes you a breeze through this thing, and you just send somebody, you know, a check for $150 or through PayPal or something. And now you're certified. I'm thinking, well, yeah, that, that to me seems like <laughs> yeah, it's definitely fishy. Yeah, and and I mean, I didn't, you know, I didn't get that far as to call anybody, you know, fraud fraudulent because again, you know, with no standards, I mean, how can you even say that? <laughs> um, but I could say that, you know, think about how hard you work for your money, and and you know, if you're going to spend it, spend it wisely. You know, what group could accredit you? Well, that's what I mean. There isn't there isn't any, and and I think that's the first thing that would have to happen is that. Somehow, like maybe IPI or some, you know, or other groups or whatever, decided, okay, we're gonna, we're all going to agree that we're going to have some umbrella organization, the United Nations of Paranormal, you know, and that, and that this is the kind of group that we're all going to, uh, you know, that will establish protocols and methods, and we're all going to agree to that. I mean, it'd be a huge job. Like, I don't know how it happened. Um, I mean, but, it's all in what you're willing to pay, though. I mean, in terms of the education, right. uh, you have to have the education before you can even worry about the investigation. And to you know, you can accumulate a huge library and read through all these different books and read good ones and bad ones, and it could cost you a couple of thousand dollars when all is said and done, as as I'm sure you know. But then you can take a course like Lloyd Auerbach is offering courses through ghostvillage.com now. And they're a little bit pricey, but it's going to compartmentalize all that knowledge into these courses. So it's, it's the same thing with if you take adult classes at a, at a community college. You know, you're willing to pay $250 for somebody to teach you how to do pottery. Or you could go to 25, you know, free classes at the senior center. I mean, right. it, it's all in the, the, experience and the expertise of who's teaching you in addition to the materials. That's right. I mean, it's going to be perceived value, right? I mean, you look at this and you say, wow, Lloyd Arbach, well, you know, I mean, the guy's been around for a long time. You know, he knows his stuff. If, if it was somebody else he never heard of or something, I think, well, geez, I don't know, you know. So, I mean, there's a lot of reasons for taking one over the other, and, and you're right. 
Um, I have a friend in Ohio here who teaches uh, ghost hunting courses or ghost hunting classes, if you will. And like the one you're talking about from Rhode Island, you know, she charges like 25 bucks or something and basically just goes, same thing, goes back to the building mm-hmm. that they're renting to hold this. And she just does it, you know, because she likes to do it. I mean, she's into Share this. Share knowledge. And... Yeah, yeah. And it's so, a great way to have people show up and say, I have a place for you to investigate without having to do any of the legwork. Right, find absolutely. Them. Right, right. All right, well, we are just about out of time, John, but it's been fascinating talking with you. I hope when Ghost Hunters International comes out, you'll come back on and, <laughs> and share some experiences uh, writing that book. How long are you going to spend working on that one, do you think? Well, I don't know. I've already I've already spent a little bit of time on it as I've been traveling around the last year or so to some different places abroad. But uh, I've got some places lined up for next year. I don't know how long it's going to take. Hopefully it wouldn't take much more, maybe another year and a half. But, you know, traveling around the world's hard. <laughs> well, we'll be in touch, and hopefully people will be listening and share some of their stories with you on ghosthuntersinternational.com. Is that the? Uh, ghosthuntinginternational.com. But the best way is probably just to go to my website, www.johnkachuba.com. And like you said, the books are on there, too. And by the way, the book Ghost Hunter, uh, you know, it's in all the bookstores, too. So it's not it's easily available nationwide. It shouldn't be any problem getting it anywhere. Right, and, and we highly recommend it. Well, thanks very much. I appreciate being on the show again. It's always great to talk to you. Thanks, John. Take care, and, and we'll be in touch real soon. All right. Thanks a lot, Tim. Bye-bye. Yeah, Stay bye. safe out there. That is author John Kachuba, author of Ghost Hunters on the Trail of Mediums, Dowser, Spirit Seekers, and Other Investigators of America's Paranormal World. And uh, next week we'll be here uh, after the Red Sox again, maybe after history in the making again. Who knows? I don't think Clay Buckholz is pitching next week, but who knows? We'll be back uh, talking about the Mothman. We're going to have uh, some special guests with us that we're still working on. But uh, hopefully we'll be able to get that all together, and maybe some other things we'll toss around as well. And then the week after that, uh, the 15th of September, we're going to be talking about haunted baseball with a local author, Dan Gordon, as well as Mickey Bradley, his co-author. And it's, it's a really interesting dichotomy with these two because Dan Gordon, diehard, lifelong Red Sox fan, Mickey Bradley, 100% Yankee fan, actually named after Mickey Mantle. So we're going to have the two of them on immediately following the Red Sox-Yankees game of that series. So it's just going to create such an environment, and we're going to be talking about the ghost stories throughout the game of baseball. Uh, and those who remember Scott Williamson during his time here are familiar with that. So we'll get into all of that in the next couple of weeks. Stay tuned to SpookySouthCoast.com for more. But for now, for Matt Costa, for Matt Moniz, I'm Tim Weisberg. We want you all to stay spooktacular. Rest assured, listener, that my time here has not been easy, and what you have just heard was not fiction. Although, in many a desperate moment, I most certainly wish it had been. It's over for now, it seems. Or at least, until yesterday begins again. Tomorrow, tomorrow. supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen.